You provided bread from heaven for their hunger. You brought them water from the rock for their thirst. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 15, our theme verse for the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This is our summer series titled Extraordinary. In today's episode, you'll hear what it looks like to participate with God in this life as the disciples did, plus how Jesus used a little boy who offered up his lunch to provide for thousands. The title of today's lesson is Extraordinary Provider. Here's Associate Pastor J.C. Thompson. Hey, we are continuing our series called Extraordinary. We'll be in Matthew chapter 14 today. You can go ahead and turn there. I want to provide a little bit of context for the story that we're talking about today. You've probably heard the story of something that Jesus did, this particular story today. You've probably heard before. The story itself won't be new, but I want to make sure that you understand the context for Uh, how Matthew explains this story happening. So in Matthew chapter 14, verse 2, Herod Antipas is explaining to his servants how Jesus is doing these miraculous things. And here's what he says. He says, speaking about Jesus, remember, this is John the Baptist, he told his servants. He has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work. In him. Matthew then explains, after giving this statement from Herod, how John the Baptist was murdered in a very public and grotesque way that involved a leader in power not wanting to be embarrassed in front of the guests at his party in his home. Now, I think it's interesting that Herod describes Jesus as John the Baptist resurrected for a few reasons. Number one, John the Baptist never performed any miracles. So to say that this was John the Baptist and he's performing miracles is unique because John the Baptist never did that. Now, John the Baptist preached repentance and he was known for his interesting dietary choices and the fact that he baptized. Most notably, he baptized Jesus himself. To believe that a person could be resurrected was also not a common thing. Now, you've got to remember, Jesus hadn't been resurrected yet. And so by Herod saying something like this, that a man is resurrected, would have shocked the people listening. Because people don't get resurrected from the dead. I also think it's interesting because I I think Herod in particular, I think he's feeling guilty for his part that he played in John the Baptist's murder. Now, why would John the Baptist be someone who would want to be murdered? Well, for two reasons. One, he was was preaching repentance, and that frustrated some folks. But the second reason why is John the Baptist confronted Herod. See, Herod divorced his wife and wanted to marry the wife of his half-brother. And John said, don't do this. It's not good. And yet Herod didn't want to murder him, although he did not like being confronted in that way. He did that because someone brought him to task for a promise he made after getting a little tipsy to the guests at his party. But Herod did not understand who Jesus was, nor did he understand the work that Jesus was accomplishing. This miracle that we'll talk about today is also particularly important because for Jesus, he is clarifying who he is to people because He's doing something that only God could do. In fact, in the Old Testament, in Nehemiah chapter 9, 15, he is described what Jesus used to do for the Israelites in providing food for them. Manna would rain from heaven. God also provided water for them. And so Nehemiah 9, 15 just says this, you provided bread from heaven for their hunger. You brought them water from the rock for their thirst. Jesus was doing a miracle that people would have recognized as a miracle that God did in the past. This is also the only miracle that's recorded in every one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic Gospels, set this miracle within the context of John the Baptist dying. And so we see Jesus and his disciples upon hearing this statement from Herod when the news is shared with them moving away to try and find a place of solitude, finding a place away from Herod and his reign. And for us, 
I think it's important because like we talked about last week, Jesus is not just an ordinary human being. He's extraordinary. But I don't know about you. Maybe I'm alone in this, but I want to be participating with Jesus so when incredible, amazing, wonderful things happen, I want to be there. I want to see them. I want to experience them. I want to share about them with other people. And I want to, I want to do that. I want to be on Jesus' team. And I want to just watch him do amazing things, which even just being able to watch is amazing. I want to participate with him. And so if you're like me and you want to participate in God's work, that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you got your outline, you can go ahead and take it out. Participating in God's work calls for embracing your limitations. Embracing your limitations. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 13. When Jesus heard about it, and again, what did he hear about? He heard about Herod explaining that he thought Jesus was John the Baptist resurrected. When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. Now, the grammar here is important to understand. He wasn't doing this to be by himself. He was taking his disciples, and the group of them were going, okay? When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, had compassion on them, and healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted, and it is already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Now, as we talked about, Jesus withdraws here to go to a remote place with his disciples privately in order to get away from Herod Antipas. Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus afraid of Herod? Come on now. You've read a lot about Jesus. You've heard a lot about Jesus being here, Brooklyn. Was Jesus afraid of Herod? No, of course not. He's Jesus. He's not afraid. So why would he get away? Well, I think there's two possibilities. Possibility one is his cousin, someone he is participating in ministry with, although not in the same location, John the Baptist, has just died. And he's been murdered. So there's a possibility he is grieving his cousin's death. And I think that's a realistic possibility. But I think more so Jesus here is doing what sometimes we maybe get a little uncomfortable with that Jesus does. He is getting away because the work that he's participating in, the good things that he's doing, is getting in the way of marring the picture of what he truly came to earth for. His miracles are causing a stir. But Jesus didn't come to perform miracles. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. Miracles point to the work that Jesus came to do. And the work that Jesus came to do was to save us from our sins, to repair the relationship between God and humanity. So I think he gets away because it's not yet his time. And the stir that's being created by his miracles, which some people are now saying he's a person resurrected who's never done miracles, but I guess when you come back from the dead, now you also get miraculous powers. I think he's getting a way to clear up some of the confusion. He doesn't want anything to mar the picture of what his purpose here on earth is. And I think also he wants to make sure to clarify with his friends, his disciples, what he's doing here. And so I think under, Jesus understanding this, I think he gets away with his friends. But instead of getting to this place of solitude that he was seeking to find, he's met with a large crowd. So I think it's important for us to look at this crowd's motivation. Why would they follow Jesus? Why, why did they hear that he's leaving and then follow him? Why would they not just stay where they were? Now, I think it could be a number of things. It could be the fact that Jesus is performing miracles 
And so just like us, like he, they, like they want to see it. It could be that they have some picture that maybe he's something more than just someone with magic powers. I think it could be. But let me give you this picture. You might have been to a concert before of somebody who's just unbelievable as a performer and entertainer. Anybody? Okay. Let me, I'm going to give you one. I'm going to share this with you. I'm expecting no judgment. Okay? We're in a church building. Don't judge me. Uh, but I went to see a guy who is the most incredible performer I've ever seen on stage. And his name is Michael Bublé. Now, I like artists. I like people who write their own music. They come up with their own stuff. He's not that. That's not him. Sorry to disappoint you. He's singing everyone else's songs. Okay? But when I went to see him for the first time, with very little expectation, he had built this stage that curved upwards. The orchestra was set on stage which is not normal. And he would go and he'd climb up that stage and he would sing next to the people in the orchestra. They'd get their little solo on and then he would slide back down with the most smooth effort I've ever seen in my life. It was incredible. But then I found out later on, there had been people following him from city to city to watch him do the same show night after night. And I thought to myself, there's never a performing act I would do that with. I would never go city to city to watch somebody perform the same exact show. I would never do that. So I think the things that Jesus is doing here must be so astounding, so amazing, so incredible that when they even hear the rumor that he might be leaving and going across town, they all go, well, we got to go. I don't think it was because these people are born again and they want. I think it's just the spectacle of it all. And so they show up and they have needs and they hear that Jesus will meet their needs. So maybe it's the miracles. Maybe it's the response to the teaching that the people had that you can see at the end of Matthew chapter 13. But I think regardless, it's these people wanting to receive something from Jesus. No matter how selfish it might be, they want something from him. But Jesus has limitations. Now, for some of you, even that statement makes you go a little, I mean, JC, you told us Jesus was extraordinary, and now you're telling us that he has limitations? Yeah, he does. He took on human flesh for us. He's limited by human flesh, which means he's got to eat when he gets hungry. It means when he gets tired, he's got to go to sleep. And Jesus understood this. He wasn't shamed by this. He embraced it. And so he knows in order to clarify, in order to get to the next place in ministry, in order to get to this next phase, this next step of the process, I got to get away. So that's what he does. He gets away with his friends. But don't miss. He wasn't doing anything bad to get away. I mean, he was healing people, casting out demons. He was teaching God's word with authority. All good, incredible things, but these weren't the priority. The priority was living a life righteously so that one day he could give his life sacrificially, be resurrected from the dead to restore and reconcile us and rescue us from the mess we find ourselves in. That's what he's here for. So his retreat was to continue to help him create room to accomplish his most incredible work, which is training, preparing his disciples that when he leaves, they're carrying on why he came to earth. So he wants to create room to talk to them, to share with them what's going on. Young people, listen to me, okay? You, we talked about this last week. Your parents have told you you're special your whole life, right? And you feel good about that. And you get to high school, you start becoming a teenager. You start to get this thing called responsibility. You start to discover there's this magical thing called bills, and then all of a sudden, you don't feel as special anymore. In fact, you start to feel a little regular. And then the pressures of this world, they start to build, right? And so you're trying to figure out, how can I deal with all this stuff? Let me tell you something, young people. Listen to me. Listen to me closely, okay? You can choose right now to prioritize what is most important in your life today. You don't have to wait till after you get out of high school or college you don't have to wait till after summer vacation. You don't have to wait until you get older, when you get a career, or when you get married, or when you have children. Decide today 
that life with God is your most important priority and make decisions every day that show that's my priority. Jesus did this. People were excited about what he was doing, and yet he got away. Now, when Jesus gets to this place that he intends to be a retreat, he gets interrupted. Now, I don't know about you. I do not like interruptions. When I am focused on a task or a project or not something that important, eating, a movie, literally anything, you interrupt me, I get a little frustrated. Am I the only one in this way? Just me? And so I look at Jesus as he, again, Matthew's telling us, he's getting away to get to a place of solitude, and he gets interrupted. Jesus, instead of being frustrated, feels compassion on those people and healed all of them who had a need. Just real quick, praise God that every time we approach Jesus in this way, even imperfectly because we need something from him, he feels compassion towards us. We don't burden him, nor do we frustrate him. But Christ's intentional focus gets interrupted, and while he had compassion on these people, we don't see the disciples mirror his behavior. In fact, it feels like they're not excited about their limitations. They probably wanted to get away as well. They probably wanted to spend some time just with Jesus. And this is the tension that we live in today. We live in this tension of our limits. You are not God. You cannot create something out of nothing like God can. Not only do you have a human body that is limited, but you also have a sinful nature that you are born with. Jesus wasn't born with a sinful nature. And because of that, we feel this tension of our limitations in two extremes. Limitation, the way we think about our limitations in one way is that we can struggle that we are just finite beings. We can burn the candle at both ends. We can keep pushing ourselves to the limit. We can get into debt over our eyeballs, all because we don't truly believe that we are limited beings. And we're pushing all the time. But the other extreme, we think we're so limited that God can't do anything with what we have. That God doesn't want to do anything amazing, spectacular, extraordinary with our lack of stuff, our lack. And we just feel limited all the time. And the disciples here, their statement, it's, they're not suggesting to Jesus like, hey, everybody's getting hungry, like maybe we should figure out a plan. That's not what they say. What do they say to Jesus? Send them away, Jesus. They are commanding the Son of God to do things the way that they think they should be done. See, the grammar used here indicates that the disciples are commanding Jesus to do what they want him to do. And I think the disciples are experiencing their own limitations. And rather than embracing them and being comfortable with them, it's starting to overwhelm them. And everybody does some different when their limitations are overwhelmed. Some of you grab on a little more tightly and you try and control and manipulate these things to get what you want. Some of you just completely give up. Some of you use humor or anger. Both as in a way to shield yourself from being real with your limitations. But let, let me tell you something. Y'all ever dealt with hungry people before? Y'all got kids when they're hungry? They turn into mutants when they're hungry, don't they? They do things that you never thought they could do. Their voices change. Their face changes. Their physical strength increases for a moment. 
And the disciples are starting to feel this pressure because there's a lot of people around. And Jesus has been healing all of them all day long. He's been teaching all day long. And they're probably a little hungry themselves. I mean, in addition to the concerns of what it looks like for a crowd of at least 5,000 men, what it might turn into if everybody starts to get hangry at the same time, the disciples themselves are also probably hungry and it's getting late. And remember where they're at. They're at a deserted location. So there's no lampposts around. When it gets dark, it's dark. Okay? We're not talking about dark in Greenville County. We're talking about dark in the desert. There's no light. And I don't know if you know this or not, but when it gets dark outside, there's some creatures that come out. Some of them are human and some of them are not. And so not only are they hungry, they're thinking about what these people are going to do. And they're also thinking about what's going to get us being out here so late. So Jesus stops them when they command him to do something. And he doesn't stop them. He doesn't shame them. He stops them. And he does what Jesus always does. He provides another opportunity for discipleship. He says, you feed them. Rather than send them away to town nearby for food, you feed them. Now, I don't know about you, but if Jesus says that to me and I got no food and I'm looking at the crowd, I'm looking at y'all, like if Jesus said today, like, hey, feed all those people which by the way, he did this week. That's what I'm up here trying to do, preach to you right now. And multiple times I'm going, send them somewhere else. Send them somewhere else. Give them something else. I just imagine the disciples looking at Jesus going, is he, talk- is he talking to me? Me, feed him? Does he see how many people are out there? And yet that's exactly what Jesus does. See, we see the disciples not understanding what Jesus is asking of them. And they see their limitations as an obstacle to obedience rather than an opportunity for dependence. See, Jesus tries to help the disciples not to see their situation and not to see their limitations as the only possible solution to this problem. But he invites them to participate with God in the midst of those limitations. But they are struggling against Jesus. So they fight back when he says, you feed them. They say, but Jesus, all we've got are these five loaves of bread and these two fish. And I sense them getting a little hangry with Jesus. You're asking us to do something impossible The disciples feel limited by the need of the crowd and the need inside themselves. And they're also limited because they don't have the supply that is necessary to meet the need. They were not only feeling their own hunger, but they were feeling the hunger of those around them. And they didn't have what it took to satisfy that hunger. Now be careful here. We can read these stories and we can go, disciples... If I were there, I trust Jesus so much, and I love him so much, I would not have said that. I, because I've read the whole story, I know what the right answer is. So I'm going to do that. But I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about how you face it when you come right up next to your limitations. I'll give you an example of this where sometimes our culture doesn't help us. I was talking to my staff this week. We're talking about recruiting. I don't know if you know about this, but summer and family ministry is not like vacation time. Summer and family ministry is like, boom, like everything goes through the roof. We're trying to connect with students all the time because there's two things that are a reality. One, we get more time with students during the summer because school's not in session, which is a wonderful opportunity for ministry. But the flip side is you go on vacation, And so sometimes when you show up on a Sunday morning, everything looks great on the outside, but then when you drop your kid off, you're like, there are a lot of kids in this classroom. So I'm trying to share with my staff, like, what does it look like to recruit with people? Can I tell you something? 
Here's how corporate culture teaches you to recruit if that's your only training for recruiting in the church. They say it like this. They say, listen, we are on a journey. And the journey that we're on, you're going to miss out on all the incredible, awesome, wonderful blessings if you don't come and join us on this journey. And it's, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. It's going to fulfill all your expectations. So come on and join us. And why do they teach you to recruit like that? Because what happens if you tell people what's really going on? What happens? Well, you look desperate. And nobody wants to join a sinking ship. That's what they tell you. That's what they tell you. And I remember, I remember uh, being in this place. Young 20-something, ministry's growing. And I'm thinking to myself, people keep coming, but not as many volunteers keep coming as, as many kids keep coming. And so my mentor said, you need to tell people you're going to stop doing stuff if they don't help you. I was like, that's not how I got trained to recruit people. I, that doesn't sound good. He's like, well, if you're desperate enough, you'll ask like you're desperate. He said, and JC, let me tell you something. He said, I want you to read the Bible. I want you to see the people who ask God for something. Tell me if they're desperate or everything's cool and they just want a little bit of help. And when I started to read the Bible, what I realized real quick is, they are desperate. They're desperate. And so we tell people, we recruit in this way of like, we're on this journey and everything's great and it's fun and awesome and amazing. And then you show up in a nursery and babies are crying. And you've got to help them to not cry. And I am faced with a limited supply of helping babies not cry. And so what do you do? Well, you have to realize in order to really ask for things in the right way, you have to see them as they are. We need your help. And so I'm challenging my staff, ask for help like you actually need help. Don't ask people when it's convenient. Don't ask people if you got nothing else going on. Don't ask people if you know all the things that it takes to do this. That's not how you ask. You ask like, hey, we're shutting this thing down unless we get enough bodies because it becomes unsafe for children. Do you understand the difference in those two ask? Well, JC, that sounds, I mean, that sounds crazy. Yeah, and we got a crazy job to do. I mean, think about this. We're, we're not, we're not childcare workers at a childcare facility. We're teaching them the word of God so that they won't be separated from God for all of eternity. It's an important job. I would say, an incredibly important job. And so we should ask in a desperate way, not in a like, hey, maybe sometime you can help us. We don't like words like desperate, needs, dependence, and yet those words are synonymous with being a follower of Christ. You see the difference here? We want a need when that need is still just a little bit comfortable for us. And sometimes Jesus winnows our need down to where we get a little more desperate. Because he wants us to trust him with everything. Jesus rightly expected them to understand this already, the disciples. They should have understood that they don't have the same ability that he has. That God can supply things miraculously. And they should have understood that Jesus Christ is both able and willing to do these things in their midst. But the disciples don't. They don't do it. When you are following Christ, are you embracing your limitations or are you fighting against your limitations? Are you using your limitations as an excuse for disobedience to God? If we want to participate in God's work, we also should be expecting God's leadership. We should be expecting God's leadership. Jesus says this. He says, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Jesus took what was available from the people their limited resources, and he does something miraculous. But I want you to see the method that he used. Jesus did two ordinary things. 
In John 17, 1, you can see that Jesus spoke these things. He looked up to heaven, much like he did in this story, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Jesus is praying. He's doing an ordinary thing. He's praying to his Father. The second ordinary thing that he did is he broke the bread. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. What was the second ordinary thing? He was sharing a meal. These are two ordinary things. It's what God calls us to do. God doesn't call us to do extraordinary things. He calls us to do ordinary things, and he takes care of all the extra. So Jesus does two ordinary things, and then he, again, because he is extraordinary, he does something more. Verse 20 says, everyone ate and was satisfied. Everyone ate and was satisfied. Jesus provided food for everyone in the crowd that had gathered, and they were full. Now, if you got kids, you know those are two distinctly separate miracles. Having enough food is one thing, but for them to be satisfied with that food is another thing. See, the disciples did not expect Jesus to do anything with what they had. They saw their limitation as the only possibility, and because they were limited, the situation that they were placed in is impossible. But God sees our limitations and our dependence on him as an opportunity to make the impossible possible. Jesus used what was available from the crowd. In fact, John's retelling of this story shares with us two important things about what was available in the crowd. Number one, that the food was provided by a small boy. More than likely, his mom made lunch that day knowing that he was following a crowd. And it was also shown that these loaves of bread were barley loaves, which lets us know that this was a poor boy's lunch, as barley would have been a grain for the poor. All that the crowd had to work with was the lunch from a poor child. And Jesus turned a poor boy's lunch into a grand feast. Don't miss this. Jesus used the poor to feed the multitude. Jesus used the poor to feed the multitude. Now, some scholars estimate that this crowd could have been as few as 10,000 people or more than 20,000 people. And it's also important to recognize Jesus didn't turn this into Michelin four-star food. He could have. I just want to be clear with you. He could have. He made water into wine. So changing something from poor food into different food is not impossible, but he didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. He kept the menu the same, but he provided enough food for everybody at the restaurant, and they were satisfied. I think it's clear to understand in today's age that this is a miracle. There are people who would tell you Jesus filled them emotionally with the Word of God. But I want to be clear with you in saying you must believe that Jesus can do the miraculous if you are going to be in relationship with God. To be a Christian means that Jesus claimed to be God, lived a perfect life, died, and then was raised from the dead. That seems a little more impossible to me than just making some food into more food. And so this is a miracle, what Jesus does. He multiplies here. Now, Jesus absolutely would have had the capacity to feed them with no materials, with nothing. But he chose to take what little the crowd had to perform a miracle. He multiplies what is already created. This is a miracle of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, providing miraculously for the crowd that day. 
Now, I I want you to notice the distinction, and this is a reality always when you're participating with God. The distinction here is Jesus does all the miraculous things, right? He alone multiplies this lunch. He blesses the food. He gives instruction to the people. He breaks the loaves and then hands them to his disciples. He does all of the leading. The disciples are only responsible for logistics. That's the same today. God provides our leadership. And you've got to remember that this wouldn't have been the first time that the disciples would have been next to this miracle. Remember, he turned the water into wine, as we talked about, and what did he ask them to do? To supervise the filling of the stone jars with water. So they knew, not everybody at the party knew. Remember the MC, he comes to taste the wine and he says, whoa, what have you done? Everybody serves the best wine first and then everybody gets a little tipsy and you serve the poor wine at the end. But you have saved the best wine for last. And the disciples and the servants knew what had happened. Dependence, desperation, need, all of these are terms that we have to become more comfortable with if we're going to be led by God. But those words fly in the face of the American dream. We do not depend on our ability to get things done. We depend on God's ability to get things done. We trust him. Doesn't mean we don't have effort. Doesn't mean we don't have responsibility. But our responsibility is logistics, not the leadership. We follow. If they were truly depending on Christ for everything, they simply could have asked Jesus to provide food for everyone instead of asking him to send people away. Listen, this is a strong temptation for us in this room. We're being asked to give in so many areas of our life. In fact, if you just come to church here, you hear week after week something to do, improve, think about, process, pray about every week. And that's our job is to teach you, instruct you, give you opportunities for discipleship. But the temptation is we just lead, we just go, we just do. But that's out of order. We receive first from God, and then we give. We receive first from God, and then we give. I want you to think back on your last week. How many moments did you have intentional time to receive from God? I know you're being asked by all kinds of people to supply their needs. But how many times did you take a moment to receive from Him? Now, I want to help you with this picture, okay? Imagine for a moment you're a disciple and Jesus has just sat the crowd down, he's blessed the food, and he's broke the bread, and he says, line up, I'm going to give you something to give to everybody. Now, if you're a disciple at the front of the line, you're excited because you know you're going to get something to give to people, right? But if you're at the back of the line, maybe like 10, 11, 12, right? You're thinking to yourself, I don't know how much they're going to be when I get up there. And so you see the disciples go, go, go. And first time through the line, you present your hands to Jesus and Jesus puts some food in there. And you go to the crowd, right? And you give what Jesus gave you. But then you get in line the second time and you think, there ain't no way Jesus is going to have anything to put in my hands. So you get in line, you kind of watch, you see those disciples up there. They keep getting stuff put in their hands. Maybe, just maybe he'll put something else in my hand. So you get back up there, you see Jesus, and Jesus goes, here you go, here's some more. And you take it, you start to think to yourself, how's that happening? You give it to the crowd. You come back, and you can feel nerves and anxiety as these needs were going up, and then Jesus starts to do the miraculous. He gives you stuff that you need, And you turn from nervous to thrilled. And now, every time you get in the line, you are singing a song in your head. 
you ready to get some more? Jesus got some more for you, and you turn around, man, the fifth, sixth time in line, you are dancing your way through the crowd. Because every time I show up to Jesus with my hands open, he puts something in there. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Even if you show up to Jesus and you don't know what he might have for you, or you're nervous that he's got anything left for you, if you show up with your hands open, he's got something to put in them. But sometimes when we show up to Jesus in line, we got our stuff he didn't want to say. We don't want him to say anything about this stuff. So we close our hands. And then the problem with our hands being closed is we don't have any room to get anything from Jesus. So here's the tension. I start to open my hands up to Jesus. Stuff falls out. And it may be the stuff that you really, really like. And Jesus is going to give you something in your hands. But it may not be what you want in your hands. But the disciples get so pumped and so excited, they start handing out food, and then the crowd all gets fed. And I can just imagine, I mean, can you imagine their face just during this whole story, frustrated, hungry, hangry, to then nervous, challenged, anxious to see what Jesus is going to do. That dude just prayed, and he broke this bread. Like, don't be breaking the bread, Jesus. Like, we ain't got a lot to go around, right? And then excited and full of joy as he asks you to play a part. Do you lead your family, your business, your neighborhood, your goals out of your own power or by the power of God's leadership in your life? Do you expect him to have a say in what you do in all those areas or do you just ask him for advice? The last thing as we participate in God's work is enjoying the leftovers. Enjoying the leftovers. Verse 20. They picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. Now those eight who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And I love Matthew. He's a tax collector, so of course he's keeping count, right? I love that not only did Jesus provide enough food for everybody, but he provided more than enough for everybody. And so just imagine, you've went through these lines, man, you're pumped, right? Every time you show up, Jesus got something else. And then eventually Jesus says, hey, hey, we're done here. We've handed out food. Why don't you go pick up the leftovers? And you're so excited, man, you're so, and you're going, Jesus, leftovers? Do you see how many people are out there? They were hungry. You want me to go ask them for leftovers? And Jesus is like, yeah, go, go pick up the leftovers. And every disciple, everyone who participated in the logistics of God's work that day had their own individual picture of God's extravagant grace. Every disciple would have carried their own basket full. See, I think Jesus wasn't just feeding the crowd. I think he was teaching the disciples what ministry with him truly looks like. I can just imagine these guys picking up leftovers. And then, remember, there's a lot of people. So they're all picking up leftovers on their own. And then they all come back together, and everybody's looking at everybody's basket going, every one of our baskets is full. Every one. See, we struggle sometimes believing that God really blesses in this way. JC, that's extravagant. That's more than what is necessary. Yes. See, God promises to always give us what we need, but sometimes he gives us more than what we need. I'm going to say that again. God 
always gives us what we need, but sometimes he gives us more than what we need. See, God's warehouse of blessing is always full, always. It never runs out. His supplies are so full and extravagant that the scraps from a little boy's lunch can feed a multitude of people. See, the disciples would have carried these baskets and it would have been a picture to them of Jesus and his superfluous blessing. It's not just enough what Jesus did that day. It's way more than enough. It was about the disciples participating with Jesus. He wanted them to have a moment to remember. I got way more than where that came from. And as followers of Christ, each of us has an opportunity with those baskets as well. See, what happens is we get like the disciples. We get like the Israelites and we forget. We forget all the things that God has done for us. We say we won't. We read the scriptures and we say, I can't believe they do that. And yet when we look back over our life, we don't just have morsels. We have baskets overflowing with blessings in our life. But when the next problem comes, we just put our basket to the side and we go, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? But we always have enough when we're participating with Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you a formula. I'm doing this very nervously. You don't want to give formulas to people because then they'll say, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? But I'm going to give you one today. Okay? Write it down. Our limitations, our limitations plus God's leadership equals joyful satisfaction. I'll say it again. Our limitations, what we bring to the table plus God's leadership equals joyful satisfaction. This is a spiritual reality. When we bring what we have in faith to God, God brings what he has. And what he has is more than we could ever ask or imagine. See, Jesus is the picture of that. Well, we need an example for how to live. Jesus is that. Well, we need the miraculous to let us know that the miraculous can happen. Well, Jesus does that. We need somebody to carry the burden with us when things get hard. Well, Jesus does that. Jesus is all of that and more. He, he not only looks at us with compassion, but he provides for us and what we need over and over and over again. When we forget, when we fail, when we get frustrated, even when we're hangry, Jesus gives and gives and gives and gives and gives and he never grows tired of giving and his supply never runs out. And it is most certainly, most certainly more than we deserve, but it is even more than that. If you don't have a family, God provides you with one. If you aren't gifted, he provides you with gifts. If you're not at peace, he himself is peace and he offers himself to you. He makes you worthy when you feel unworthy. He gives you a future and an inheritance. He gives you rest when you are heavy burdened. Christ is all of that and more. You only need to look to him. If you look anywhere else, it will fail you. Look to Christ today. Look to Christ today. When you come to Christ, are your hands open? Or when you come to Christ, do you come hesitant? Come controlling? Yeah, Jesus, give me all this, but don't touch any of this. Are you a person who sees your limitations instead of Christ's abundance. Can you see the riches of life available to you for participating in God's work?
I want to challenge you. Look to him today. Look to him today. Not tomorrow, not this afternoon. Look to Christ today. Come to him. Care volunteers will be down front. If you're online, look to Christ today. He supplies more than you'll ever need. And I pray, I pray, I challenge you with this last week. I'm challenging you again. When Christ does something, when you open your hands and you receive to him, share it with others. Share what Christ is doing in your life with others. Let's pray. God, we need you. I pray that we don't become so comfortable in our lives that we don't recognize our deep and desperate need for you. And I pray if there's someone in here losing hope, that today would be the day that they cling to Christ in faith and you would give to them abundantly. God, I pray for us as we walk out these doors, God, we'll be tempted to do things in our own power, to lead our lives in the way that we see fit. But God, I pray that you would lead us, you would remind us gracefully and you'd show us just how much you love us. It's in the name of Christ I pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. You can email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org, or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast, and if you like what you hear, leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.